everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. And we are so excited today to talk to another author. We love talking with authors. And today we have Liz Johnson on the podcast to talk about her new book, The Last Way Home. And Liz, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, why don't you start off? We'd like to learn a little bit about you and tell us a little bit about how you got started writing. Sure. Well, I've, uh, I'm one of those writers who's just always been writing. I wrote my first short story when I was seven and I signed my first publishing contract when I was 27. So for 20 years, I was writing a lot of really bad, um, books and really bad stories. Uh, and then, um, I took some writing courses and really just, you know, kind of tried to hone my craft and, um, yeah. And then my first book came out in 2009 and I've written romantic suspense and I've written um, a historical romance novella. And uh, right now I write contemporary romance. So you're going to notice a thread there that whatever I write has some romance in it because I adore that. And I love to write a good love story. So how did you make that transition from writing, maybe writing bad things to writing to actually getting uh, something published, that first book published? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that um, I think the transition is in the writing, is in practicing writing. And um, I, you know, for me, I was never going to become a better writer if I didn't keep writing, if I didn't write more and get more feedback. And um, like I said, I took a uh, took some classes and I took the Jerry Jenkins. Uh, it was the Christian Writers Guild. Uh, What's your story correspondence course. And it was like a two year correspondence course where I was assigned a mentor and every two weeks I had an assignment due. And I took that literally right after I graduated from college. I like went from college into work into um, taking that course. And it really was just really good for me just in terms of learning the business side and learning about being a professional writer. And I think that that is kind of a flip that has to switch for, for us, let me try that again. That's a switch that has to flip for some people like me that, um, yeah, that I just needed just a little, a little more understanding of the business side of writing because writing has all, it was always fun, but now it's, it's a business too. It's, it's part of the industry, you know, mm-hmm. I'm part of the industry. And so, um, yeah, it just, it was great to sort of have a mentor who gave me feedback and gave me good input and, uh, and then to be a part of like the community of writers, I think has been really good for me and encouraged me to, to keep writing. So did you get an agent or did you, uh, how did you get that pitch kind of accepted yeah. for the first one? Yeah. So my first book, um, I did not have an agent and I had heard that Love Inspired Suspense, uh, which is a division of Harlequin had uh, would accept and look at manuscripts even without an agent. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay. And so that was actually the first book that I sat down to write to say, I think I want to try to publish this. I had them in mind, Love Inspired Suspense. And I said, okay, I'm going to send it to them. And I did. I sent it, let's see, I sent my proposal like in October and in December, like the day before I was going to leave to travel home uh, for Christmas vacation, um, I got a rejection letter and it was like, Oh, what a way to celebrate Christmas. Like, this is not, (laughs) not how it's supposed to go. And so I was really, I was devastated, but, um, 
I went home for Christmas and then I got back to my home. I was living in Colorado at the time. And I said, I'm going to, I'm going to send them a thank you note because what they said in their letter was not that we hate your book. They just said it wasn't ready. They said it didn't meet their guidelines. And I said, okay, so what do I have to do to make it meet your guidelines? And so I sent them a thing, sent the editor a thank you note and said, you know, I really appreciate your input. Could I make some changes and resubmit? She sent me back a two page letter that was like, change this, change this, rewrite this, like change this. And I said, okay, great. And I got back to work and I made all those changes and I sent the whole manuscript in. And then she um, sent me another letter that said, nope, still not there. Change this and this and this and this. We went back and forth four times. And by the end of it, I was like, this is never going to happen. But it was July, almost a year after I had first submitted that I got finally got the phone call saying, okay, it's ready. Let's, we want to offer you a contract. And I was like, what, what is happening? And so later, um, I talked with my agent or my editor, I talked with my editor years later and I said, how did, how did my book get picked? And she was like, oh yeah, you were definitely pulled from the slush pile. Like you were like, they had somebody who read the slush pile, uh, which is just, you know, unsolicited uh, manuscripts that come in and they had a reader whose job it was just to look for kind of the diamond in the rough. And they, she picked mine and said, Hey, this, this looks really good and gave it to the editor. And so then that editor who acquired me for my first book, it was her first book, like acquisition for. uh, And so it was really fun. And we worked together for like nine years and she was super great. And I loved working with her. And um, so, yeah, I just, I always feel like my story is just a story of like, like persistence, like don't give up but also be willing to make changes because as writers, we love our, our babies so much. It's like, no, it's perfect as it is, but the truth is it can always be better. And so we, and we're often blind to the faults in our own writing. And so it's really like, it's so important to have an outside voice speak into that. And so um, just to sort of hold it loosely and say, this is my baby and I love my book, but it can be better. And I want somebody to help me make it better. That's a great story. I love that. I love that you sent that thank you note yeah. and that she continued to work with you. And, and that's, that's really great. That's, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank All you. right. Well, you kind of maybe already answered this a little bit, but would you say you're a pantser or a plotter? So when I was writing for Love Inspired Suspense, I had to be a plotter for mm-hmm. two reasons. Number one, they required it of me. And number two, um, it, it was suspense. And so like I needed to make sure that all of my threads made sense and it was all headed to the right ending. And do I have the right red herrings where I need them and that kind of thing. Uh, as I have moved into straight up contemporary romance without the mystery or suspense thread, um, I find that I'm a lot less of a plotter. So I like to think of myself as like a planter, where <laughs> I start to plot, but then I move into writing by the seat of my pants. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I generally have a vision of like, okay, this is where I'm going. How do I get there? But a lot of the fun of writing for me is the discovery along the way, is like figuring out along the way what um, what are these characters gonna do? What are they gonna say? How are they gonna surprise me? We'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. 
Escape to the Florida Emerald Coast this summer in The Beach Escape by Rachel McGee from Hallmark Publishing. After a, a monumental heartbreak, Molly Lawrence is trying to start over as a traveling vet. But Grant Torres, his charming dimples, and one stubborn loggerhead turtle named Chompers challenge the future Molly's imagined for herself. The perfect beach read for your summer book list, The Beach Escape, is a friends-to-lovers romance full of snorkeling, sailing, and of course, turtles. The Beach Escape is available August 9th from Hallmark Publishing on Amazon and in stores at selected bookstores. For more information about The Beach Escape and other titles by Rachel McGee, visit www.rachelmcgeebooks.com. That's rachelmcgeebooks.com. I, I noticed that you had done a bunch of different genres in your writing. And how does that all happen? How do you decide, okay, this one's going to be, this next book's going to be uh, contemporary, this next book's going to be historical, you know, whatever it might be. Okay. Did they come to you and say, we want, uh, we want another mystery or, or how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, while I was writing for Love Inspired Suspense, uh, I loved writing suspense uh, for them. But I knew it sort of in my heart that I had more stories to tell that didn't fit the love inspired specific, like they have like a really kind of specific audience that they're shooting for and a specific length. They're fairly short. They're like 55,000 words as compared to most full length uh, trade books generally are 80 to 85,000 or more. And so I knew that I had other stories to tell. And when I first visited Prince Edward Island in 2010, I had this moment where I never anticipated writing about PEI. And then after visiting, I was like, no, this island is full of stories and I want to tell them, but they weren't necessarily mysteries or suspense, you know? And so that was sort of my transition out of suspense and into getting to write you know, straight up contemporary was just basically setting and, and what the story, you know, what, what the setting sort of inspired in me. And uh, my one historical novella that I wrote, I loved writing, but writing historical is so hard because it, it requires so much research and every single word you have to check. Was this in use at, you know, during this time period that I'm writing in? Like, what were they wearing? What, you know, like, what was their life like? And so it was really a challenge, but it was so much fun. And uh, that came about because the publisher was looking for uh, some historical stories for a collection. Uh, it was a log cabin Christmas collection was the name of the book. And they wanted nine authors to write novellas for that. And a funny story about that one is I got passed over in their first round. They had nine authors they decided on and I was number 10 on their list. And so they were like, sorry. And I was like, oh, okay. And so a disappointment and like, this is part of the industry and like you learn to like deal with rejection. But it was one of those things where it was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't fun. And then I was at my day job at work and I had my phone kind of off to the side and I wasn't checking my, uh, you know, personal email or anything. And all of a sudden at like six o'clock, 
uh, I get a, a call and a text from my agent, like basically at the same time. And she's like, where are you? They want your story. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and so anyway, so they had had an author drop out of the, the collection and they picked me. So yeah. So that's so cool. Yeah. I think that's like, I, that's kind of the story of my publishing career. I like to say like every publisher I've ever worked with has rejected me at least once <laughs> or a book that they eventually you yeah. know, came back and said they wanted. So rejection is such a part of it, but um, you learn to have kind of thick skin. Now, when you're writing for somebody like Harlequin or Baker, Baker Publishing, or um, do you, are they open to hearing your pitches in other, in other categories, or is it almost like starting over again uh, when you start with a, a new category? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I think for like, for Love Inspired, when I was writing Love Inspired Suspense for them, they wanted me to continue in, in suspense. But if I had said, I have just a, like a regular Love Inspired that's, um, not a suspense, I think they would have been open to that and definitely would have been interested in that. Uh, working with Baker, um, and Ravel is my, you know, my division of Baker that I publish with and they, um, yeah, they have been just like a great team to work with in terms of like brainstorming what's next. Like, what do we want to do next? And, um, so for example, I wrote, um, a three book series set on Prince Edward Island and I loved it. And then we were kind of chatting about what's next. And at the time, split time books were like just kind of getting started and were really um, launching. And I said, I think I'd like to write a split time with like a little bit of historical and a little bit of contemporary. And, you know, like, what do you guys think about that? And so we had great discussions about it. And then I wrote a three book series um, called the Georgia Coast Romance, which is contemporary mostly, but then has these historical aspects, either in journals or letters or kind of, you know, history that comes out and they're looking for lost treasure in all the books. And so that, that was really fun to be on a treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, that's very interesting to me. Uh, so uh, what, so are you a big, this, this, this particular new series is a hockey series, right? Well, yeah. it's a, it's a Prince Edward Island brother series okay. and the current, the current book, the most recent release, the last way home is about a disgraced NHL hockey player. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of hockey, uh, yeah. in ro romance and I'm not sure why that, that there's that crossover. Uh, I mean, you'll see other sports, but I feel like I've seen a lot of hockey books mm -hmm. and are, are you a big hockey fan? I do like hockey. <laughs> I am not like an avid fan. I wouldn't say that I like follow, um, you know, follow any particular team or anything. And I always joke, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I'm in the, you know, the desert, <laughs> the desert, <laughs> desert. And, but we do have a hockey team here. We have the coyotes is our NHL team. And, uh, and so when I, Okay. Well, long story is when I used to work, when I lived in Colorado Springs, uh, like 15, almost 20 years ago, they, um, everybody there is, ha has like a winter sport, like you're a skier or a snowboarder or something. 
And I was like, well, I don't want to do any of those things because cold. And also because I'm kind of a wimp and I'm pretty sure I'm going to break a leg. So instead I decided to pick up figure skating <laughs> and I took, uh, when I was 20, like 26, I took my first figure skating lesson. And let me tell you, I was not great. I'm still not great. Uh, but I, they had like the city had these public skate lessons and you could like sign up and it was adult learn to skate. And so I started like anyway, and I bought my own pair of skates. And, and so then I left Colorado Springs, I moved and I kind of lost, like I lost my momentum going skating. And so I moved back to Arizona a few years ago and moved to Phoenix. And I said, I have to find an ice skating rink. I have to find something. And so I started looking and it turns out that there's several around the city and a lot of them are kind of tied to the Coyotes, our NHL team. Uh, but there is one that I went to pretty much every weekend for over a year. Like every Saturday I was at the public skate and I would go and I would just be there. But there, they, um, the rinks during the public skate are full of like little tiny hockey players, like, you know, like six and seven year olds who are out there and their pads are bigger than they are. And they're like, bish, 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 you know, like skating around and they're super fun. Uh, but then you also have like the grown up, like the guys pick up hockey games. And so then you've got a lot of attractive, you know, hockey players out there, you know, just playing around and whatever. And there was one particular guy, I don't know if I should confess this, but he, he doesn't know who he is. So there was this one guy who was just starting to gray a little bit. And I uh -huh. think he was there with his daughter, but he never wore a ring. So I assumed he was a single dad and he would come like almost every week. And they were both, he and his daughter were both excellent skaters and they were hockey, like they wore their hockey skates and they're out there and they're doing their thing. And I called him my silver Fox because he would like Every time we were on the ice together, he would very nearly run into me and I would like very nearly throw myself at him, but I didn't <laughs> like, I kept myself together. Uh, but, um, yeah, so, so I do, I love hockey. I love skating. I love skaters. I think uh -huh. that there's just like, well, number one, I love it because it's the only place in Arizona guaranteed to be cool. Uh -huh. Like yeah. <laughs> inside the <laughs> hockey rink is like, yep, I can guarantee that I'm going to, um, need to wear my gloves and my hat, which is fun. Uh, but I think that there's like, I think one of the appeals to hockey players is that they're known to be really tough. Like, you know, you've like, most people have probably heard that saying, like, I went to a hockey game or I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out. Like that, there's always going to be a fight at a hockey game. There's generally some sort of like, you know, rough and tumble aspect to it. And so there's like this strength to hockey players, but I think that it often goes like deeper than that too, because there's this teamwork, like it's not an individual sport. It's very much a team effort and the team has to work together and know how to work together. And so I think that that's appealing and, and they're like that, like just inspires all sorts of like characteristics and character qualities that I love to write about, which is, you know, one of the things that I love to write about in the last way home. Plus, you know, you can always make them like big and broody and, you know, like, and handsome guys. Yeah. So who doesn't love to read and, you know, watch that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see where you got a lot of inspiration for this new book and especially Eli when he's the coach. Yes. All those little, yes. little hockey players. <laughs> yes. Good. Yeah. Uh, so do you find it difficult to add the faith elements in a book like this without it being cloying or preachy or, you know, is that hard? You know, you know, it's, 
it's not too challenging for me at this point. Um, and I hope that I do it well. Um, I think because faith is such an ingrained part of my life that I don't, I don't, um, I mean, I go to church on Sunday and I want to be preached at then, but I don't generally want to be preached at the rest of, you know, the rest of my, my day. Mm -hmm. Um, I want my faith to inform everything that I'm doing. And so that it's, it's foundational, not like I'm not being hit over the head with it, if that makes sense. And so that's kind of how I write too. That's the kind of the idea that I write with is that, you know, you have characters who may be learning something new about their faith or maybe discovering um, a new way that God loves them. Uh, But in this particular book, The Last Way Home, the faith element was really natural because it really is a prodigal son story. Yeah. And so I sort of just took that story and I love the prodigal son story, but I have a tendency to see myself in each of the characters in the prodigal son story so you have the prodigal son yeah but you also have the father who's like waiting to welcome him home right and forgive everything that's happened but then you also have the older brother in the prodigal son story who's bitter and angry that how dare he come home and and his dad like you know kill the fatted calf and like put a ring on his finger and you know all of these things that and and I think to myself which one of those am I who do I want to be and which one am I? And it changes mm-hmm. from day to day sometimes. But yeah. I think that that's, that's kind of real life is this idea that like, man, I want to be the forgiver. I want to be the one who like welcomes back anybody who has wronged me and who like joyfully forgives because I know that I need forgiveness so often. But more often than not, I see myself in the older brother, you know, char- character of that story going, oh, they don't deserve that. (laughs) You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's not where I want to be. That's not the person I want to be. And so I sort of looked at those three characters and then it was so fun to make characters in the book fill each of those roles. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't just that Eli is coming back as the prodigal son, which he is. And it wasn't just that Mama Potts, his mom is the father figure and can, you know, well, one of the father figures and can welcome him back. But it's also Violet, who is Mama Potts's business partner, who can't um, can't stand Eli, who like definitely plays the older brother role, but also ends up being the love interest. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of of change in that and making it my own. But yeah, I loved writing this prodigal son story. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the old saying, don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Oh yeah. Oh, that's so true. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, so why do you, what do you like most about romances, both written and, uh, in, uh, for our our hallmark or on the film on film? Yeah. I, I adore romances. I am, I'm a hopeless romantic and I always have been since I was a kid, like just, I, I love, love, love romances. I read them. I write them. I watch them, all of them. Yeah. Uh, but I think that like, I was talking to a friend about it last night. Uh, we, we were talking about, um, romance in general, <clears throat> but also like specifically about, you know, uh, our books that we're working on and things. And one of the things that like strikes me about romance that I think is so special is the idea of sacrifice. 
is just this idea that like in every romance, somebody has to sacrifice in a way that shows the other person their, how much they're valued, how much they're loved. And I think like, to me, that's like just such a beautiful reflection of God's love for us, but also like how we love others and that, yeah, it does require sacrifice sometimes and it doesn't always look pretty, but that, that sacrifice is beautiful and is wonderful. And uh, yeah. And it just, it floors me every time. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite Hallmark movies? And you said you were, you told me off air, you're a big fan. I am a big fan. (laughs) I'm such a fan. Um, So I like, I have a collection of DVDs of Hallmark movies that I've collected over the years. And um, I, so I don't normally, like, I don't have cable, so I don't get Hallmark most uh-huh. of the year, but always uh-huh. at Christmas time, I sign up for like a special service to make sure that I can watch all the new Hallmark Christmas movies. And I share it with my parents and we, um, <laughs> we, we watch them and then, you know, talk about, oh, did you watch that one? And um, so, yes, so I love them. So I would say that like, some of my favorite not Christmas Hallmark movies are like How to Fall in Love. Yeah. Um Oh my gosh. I love that one so much. (laughs) That one's great. Uh, And then one that I discovered kind of recently is called just my type and it's got Bethany Mm -hmm. joy Lentz. I hope I got her name right in it. And um, yeah, she's like a reporter who is trying to get an interview with like a reclusive author. And I like, I, I love the movie. I thought it was so cute. But there's this line in there where the author talks about like his greatest fear is that if he stopped writing, no one would care. Uh And for me, I was like, that is like, that speaks to like every fear I have. (laughs) It's like, yes, what if, what if nobody cares if I stopped writing? Um, And so anyway, so I love that one. And then of course, I forgot about that one, but you're right. That is a good one. It's like as a writer, like the Uh the writer in me, I was like, oh. And then of course I love like loving Leia is one of my all time oh, yeah. favorites. And, um, the lost Valentine is so sad, but I watch it and cry every time. Cause it's just beautiful. Yeah. And then one of my other favorites is a football one, uh, love on the sidelines. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like that one too. Uh, that one gets some kind of divisive responses from people because he is a little bit controlling he is. of her, <clears throat> but I, I like it too. Excuse me. I like it too. I think uh, it's a pretty good enemies to lovers story. Yes. Yes. And I think, um, you know, just the situation that they're in where he's her boss is like, it, it's got to lend itself to that sort of, you know, he, he feels like he has to like, you know, I don't know, like tip for tat kind of thing, put him like put her in her place or something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. Yeah. Those are good ones. I I like all those as well. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about the new book, The Last Way Home? Oh, sure. So The Last Way Home is, um, as I mentioned, it's a kind of a prodigal son story. Uh, Eli is the oldest of three brothers. And about 11 years prior to the book taking place, uh, Eli's dad took off. He abandoned their family. And Eli said um Eli had a, had, had an uh, not an audition but a tryout with uh an NHL feeder team and so Eli said um 
his, their dad left and Eli said, I'm going to go try out for this. And his middle brother, Oliver said, um, okay, if you go, don't come back. We don't need you kind of thing. They were 17 and 19 at the time and they're teenagers and not, you know, didn't know how to deal with their feelings and all of that. And so anyways, Eli takes off and goes and tries out for the NHL and makes it and then spends 10 years as basically an NHL star and then makes some really poor decisions, which get him kicked out of the NHL. And nobody really knows why that happened. And so uh, he comes home, not sure of the response that he'll have because he hasn't talked to his family in 10 years. Like basically he took his brother at his word, like we don't need you. And he took off. And so he comes back and he is literally broke. Um, the first line talks about he has a black eye, a, a fractured wrist and nothing else to his name. Like that is all that he has. And he comes home and he's really not sure what the welcome will be. He's not sure if Oliver is still going to be, you know, like pack your bags. We don't need you here. But he ends up he, uh, he ends up meeting Violet, who is his mom's business partner. And she, um, and the day that Eli comes home, there's a fire at their pottery shop. Uh, so Eli, I'm sorry, Violet and Mama Potts own this pottery shop and, uh, there's a fire and they lose all of their inventory for the summer. And if they can't sell their inventory, then they can't keep their business afloat. And so anyway, so, uh, Eli and Violet, reluctantly team up to try and save the pottery shop and um, earn a little bit of money and, and get a job. You know, Eli's always looking for a job and ends up coaching a youth team that is um, more complicated than he expected. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Violet has her own kind of tragic backstory. Yes. Uh, and I don't want to spoil it for the listeners, but uh, that, that was pretty grueling. Yeah, I would say. And yeah. uh yeah, to 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 for her to forgive, for her to accept forgiveness from her parents. Yes. Uh what was that like to write? Yeah, that was really emotional for me to write, but also um like I'm glad that it was emotional for me to write because I hope that then it comes across on the page that it was um it is really a tragic backstory and yeah, I don't want to give it away either, but mm -hmm. um, she certainly has these secrets that she's been carrying with her, but she's like known mama pots and the Ross family for, um, for almost as long as Eli's been gone. So she kind of moved to the Island shortly after Eli had left 10 years ago. And so she's like, this is her found family. Like she's been become ingrained in the Ross family. And yet she's never spoken about her parents to mm -hmm. mama Potts, who's basically her adoptive mom. And so it's like, there's, there's this, she has this sort of mentality of like, if I just keep it inside that it can't hurt anymore, or it won't hurt as much if I don't have to talk about it. And I think that it's kind of the opposite in real life. Like, I know it sounds strange, but I have discovered that the things that are painful in my life, the more I've talked about them, it's not that they become easier, but that they, um, this, it's almost like the sting lessens just a little bit. And it becomes like, I can talk about this. And when I have someone to share and understand with me, there's a, there's just a hope to that then that you don't get when you're just keeping it inside and just, you know, praying that nobody finds out your secret. Yeah. So, well, and, and 
if you just keep it inside then it it, it will just keep boiling inside like you yes. it'll it, it eventually you have to deal with it exactly exactly and it festers for you know yeah it'll just mm-hmm. keep festering yeah and yeah. so yeah so she definitely has to come to terms with it but it's kind of great that both Eli and Violet have these secrets in their past that they're ashamed of and don't want to talk about but when when the other begins to open up then it's like there's a there's a safe place for them mm-hmm. to share and I think that that's like really key is finding that safe person that safe place so Mama Potts that must have been a fun character to write oh uh, she's great I yeah. love Mama Potts um she's super fun and I um I always like I feel a little bit bad for her having three sons who she basically has raised on like she basically raised them on her own because even though their dad was still there he wasn't like he wasn't a good dad we'll just put it that way and so um and then the dad leaves and she ends up with two teenage sons a 15 year old and a 17 year old who she has to like get them through uh through high school and uh help them survive meanwhile they're all totally broke and uh in debt and they lose their house and they go through like all these really severe things and yet she just keeps her joy and um and so she's just a lot of fun for me like I just love the idea of um yeah just thinking about a mom loving on her sons even as adults and what a special relationship that mother-son relationship is Hey, this is Jen Johans, host of the podcast Watch with Jen, which delivers a steady stream of great movie recommendations, thoughtful career deep dives, and first-rate conversations with film critics, authors, actors, journalists, filmmakers, and more. You can find Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts or hear us first at our Patreon at patreon.com slash filmintuition. I mean, there are a lot of characters in this novel for a romance novel. It they really had to balance a, a lot yeah. of uh, of characters. Yeah, for sure. That's been a really interesting part of writing this particular series is that, um, so it's a three book series about three brothers, but with each, with each brother, um, you know, there comes a new love interest there who brings their own set of like, you know, friends and, and people and it keeps growing each book. So I'm working on the third book right now. And I'm, I'm like, I have a lot of people going on here. Like, who am I, like, who, who have I caught up with and, yeah. and who do we, you know, how, how do they all tie together? But at the end of the day, it's been really, really fun because as each, like, as the brother in the first book found his healing, then to put him into the second book, Oliver uh, in The Last Way Home, um, he's kind of a different character because he went through his arc in the first book and really discovered, you know, peace and forgiveness that he needed and needed to offer and needed to find. And so, um, yeah, so anyways, it's just, it's a lot of fun to bring this whole family together, but it is kind of growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the town, I think it's called Victoria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the book. Did you base that on a particular place in Prince, Prince Edward Island? Yeah. So Victoria by the Sea is a real town. Okay. Um, yeah. It's a real little town on Prince Edward Island on the South Shore. It's not too far from the Confederation Bridge, which is a, um, a huge landmark and one of only three ways to get to Prince Edward Island. 
Um, so you can fly, you can take the ferry, or you can drive across the Confederation Bridge from, uh, let's see, it must connect to New Brunswick, I think. And it's like 13 kilometers. So it's about seven miles, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, it must be because there's a big sign that says seven mile church <laughs> right next to the bridge because um, there's a little church there. <clears throat> so it's about a seven mile drive over this bridge and I have never driven it. It terrifies me. It's just like it just keeps going and going and going and you totally lose sight of it. And you have to trust when you get on that bridge that somebody on the other end, like like there's an exit point at some point because you can't see it. And, um, and so you just put a lot of faith in whoever built the bridge, but, um, yeah, so Victoria by the sea is right there, um, near the Confederation bridge on the South shore. And we, um, so yeah, it must've been the first time my mom and I visited the Island. We were driving along the South coastal drive, which is basically just a beautiful tourist drive that you can take along the coast and you've got the water on one side and the green fields uh, and agriculture on the other side. And uh, and the you, you're looking at red cliffs everywhere you go and pine trees and it's just stunning. It's just so beautiful. But we get to this little tiny place in Victoria called Victoria and I was like, this is so adorable. So we get out and we walk around and they have like these, like they have like a little tiny lighthouse it's like a tourist trap lighthouse, you know, just, just there. It's, it's not functional, but then there is another functional one. And there's, you know, and there's a, a community theater there and it's like a really big deal. They do shows like all summer long. And anyway, I just fell in love with it. It's just such a cute little town of like fishermen, lobster fishermen and um, artists and, and theater people actors oh. and uh, community shows. And so I just decided, okay, that's my series. I'm going to have a lobster fisherman. I'm going to have somebody who deals with pottery and, um, and art. And then uh, the third book is about the community, the community theater. Oh, yeah. that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, is that one? Is, so the, this is the second one. So when does that third yes. one come out? The third one comes out next summer. Oh, I'll look forward yes, to that. Assuming I can finish writing it. <laughs> I'm a huge working... theater buff, theater nerd. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. I go to as many shows as I can. Uh, I love so, it. Oh, my yeah, gosh, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, were going to, if, if, if The Last Way Home got optioned by Hallmark mm -hmm. and we were going to make a Hallmark movie, since you're a big Ooh. fan, yeah. who do you think you would cast of the Hallmark uh, uh, talent? Who would you cast oh, as Violet yeah. and um, wow. Eli? Okay, I gotta think about the last way home. Who are my characters? Who's okay? So I'm a big fan of Autumn Reeser. Mm -hmm. And so I think she would make a great violet. I think that would yeah. go well. And then who would I pick for Eli? I feel like I can't think of his last name. Um Corey, somebody. He's been in a couple of Christmas movies. Oh, okay. Um shoot uh i i what is it um is it sevier sevier okay that's yeah. better there we go yes so i think he would make a great eli he feels like he plays that like kind of wounded kind of um wounded tough guy pretty well mm -hmm. yeah i the only thing i don't know if i could see him as a professional hockey player is the only thing but i but i think he would be he would be good I think Niall Mater is the 
clear choice to pay, play. Eli. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, he's played okay. a hockey player already on yes. the mark. Uh, and uh, so he's already kind of done that. That's maybe why I thought of him. Yes. But uh, but yeah, I think he would be really good. Oh, that was the one with um, Rachel Lee Cook mm-hmm. and she owned the bookstore. Yes, yes. I've seen that one. That's a good and one. Uh, oh yeah, he would he would be good. He would be good. And I like, I think Autumn Reese is a good choice uh yeah i mean i always love her she's great uh yes. and uh so yeah and i think the two of them would work well together so. uh so i think uh i think that's good if you're listening hallmark we got the casting done for you yes <laughs> done and done you guys are all set <laughs> yeah yeah well very good congratulations on the book Thank you. Uh, and uh and we'll have uh links in the description if people want to affiliate links if people want to check out and get the book We'd like to take a second from this episode of the podcast to celebrate our sponsor of this episode, and that is the Hallmarkies Patreon. Do you love Hallmarkies podcast? Do you want an inside scoop into what happens on the podcast? Do you want early access to episodes and loads of cool perks? Now is the time to become a patron of Hallmarkies podcast. By becoming a patron, you get to access our patron Facebook group. You can request episodes or even be a guest on the podcast. And most importantly, any patron can join our monthly movie watch-alongs with stars like Paul Campbell, Natalie Hall, and more. It's as low as $2 a month to join in and become a special part of the Hallmarkies family. Please consider, and we will love you forever. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. Before we let you go, we have our fun, silly questions. So Ooh, yes, yes. So, uh, what is the best ice cream flavor? Chocolate chip cookie dough. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yep it's 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 interesting because I don't really like cookie dough uh, in the sense of like you, there's these places where you just get like a whole thing of cookie right. dough. It's too right. much, it's too sweet. But I like it in like little things little in dabs. the ice cream. Yeah, yes. we do there. All right, what's your favorite color? purple oh me too yeah good all right what music are you into um a little a little bit of everything not everything mostly country is what I listen to yeah. these days nice okay good uh what is your go-to date night food if you were if you were going out oh if I was going out on a date um well it's more like a that's a process of elimination because it can't be Italian because I slurp my noodles and I end up spilling all over myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Salad is like all over me. So <laughs> probably like, um, and I, and I don't care for seafood. So like, I'm gonna go with like a steak yeah. like, or pork chops. I love a good pork chop. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. Well, if you were to pick, what would be your ideal date activity? activity. Ooh. Okay. Well, I, I love movies. So I would like to say going to the movies, but I don't think that's like a good first date activity mm-hmm. because you can't talk to the other person. Yeah. We say on this podcast that if you're going to do the movie date, you should, you should uh, do instead of dinner and a movie, you should do movie and dinner Yes. or yes. movie and a treat or something like that, because then you can talk about the movie. exactly exactly i went on a date not too long ago that was that like we went to the movie and then yeah we went and got nachos afterwards and it was like oh Oh, that was ideal i do like yeah that sounds fun yeah um but i i would say like 
I I do like miniature golf or like anything uh-huh. like or bowling. I'm really bad at both, but things where you can like where you're up yeah. and moving around and can talk to each other and sort of laugh together. I think that it says a lot about somebody too, like how how seriously they take themselves if they're if they can't laugh at their own bad bowling, like right. then maybe we're not compatible because right. I'm definitely gonna laugh at it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. All right. Which do you like better, dogs or cats? Um, probably dogs. Mm, Okay. I I don't have either. So, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Beaches or mountains? Um, mountains, but just by a little bit. Cause I, yeah, I think beaches are beautiful. I just don't like the ocean. Oh, okay. I'm scared of the ocean. I don't. more I'm scared of what's in the ocean. <laughs> oh, sharks and stuff. <laughs> and seaweed, it wraps around your ankle. I don't like any of that. <laughs> uh, all right. What is your favorite holiday to celebrate? Christmas. Yeah. It's hard to beat Christmas because it's a whole season right? where everything else is just like a day or maybe a week or something like right. that. Yeah. Yes. All right. Last question. What is your favorite Hallmark or romantic movie? My favorite ever. Um, and that's tough. oh man it's just hard to narrow it down but I will <laughs> say that um like the one that probably impacted me the most is Disney's Beauty and the Beast mm. like the animated one that I've watched mm-hmm. since I was a kid that to me is like yeah it's, that's one of my favorites yeah I love that good one choice good choice well you did it you answered all the questions all right <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, do you have social media or anything like that you want to share? I sure do. Yeah. I am on social media, pretty much, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at Liz Johnson books. Um, yeah. Liz Johnson books. And my website is Liz Johnson books.com. Great. We'll have that, all that information in the description. So make sure y'all check that out. And like I said, we have the affiliate links. If you want to read the the, uh, if you want to read the last way home, you can, uh, get the book uh, there and help out the podcast. And so we appreciate that. And, uh, you can find me at Rachel's reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Rotten Tomatoes. So check that out. Also make sure you're following the podcast to Hallmarkies pod and Hallmarkies podcast, all of our social media. And if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us your ratings and reviews that helps us a lot. And if you are watching on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our patron group and merch store. So take a look at that. And thanks so much, Liz. This was really a fun interview. I I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm a a big fan of you guys and just uh, delighted to be here. Uh, Well, let let us all, uh, let us know what y'all think of all the things we talked about. And uh, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye everyone.